0: Father, we thank you that it's a life-giving word that changes our lives. The Father God, if we ever need hope, Father God, it is now, it is today. And, Father God, your word is the source of hope that we need, for it gives us a certainty and a confidence in you. And, Father, as we come around your word, we simply ask, would you let it speak to our hearts, Father, by your spirit. Father God, would you enlighten the words to us, Father God, that you would want us to see, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father. There is no substitute for your word. There is nothing we can add to this word. There is nothing we can take away from this. So, Father, bless our time together as we come around your word now. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are working our way through 1 Timothy. We started this way back in September. And obviously from different weeks that we have done different things. We're working our way towards the end. 1 Timothy 6 is the final chapter. Uh, There are two more more messages after this. Then 1 Timothy will be uh, complete. And so Paul is writing to Timothy who is his spiritual son in the Lord, because Timothy is there in Ephesus, pastoring, leading, uh, probably not just over one church, but over several churches, and uh, Timothy uh, is feeling some discouragement, Uh, he wants to be encouraged by Paul, so Paul writes a letter to him, He says, gives him some advice for the church to help him uh, to lead the church and how to deal with people in the church. And we've looked at so far that that, that Paul has addressed the area of the men and the women and the leadership and the young and the old and and all those different sets of groups that make up the church. And so we're coming to the last chapter now. Uh, And so Paul returns here to the discussion of false teachers and, and really false teaching Uh, that what's happening as we know from the chapter one that Paul has given Timothy an instruction where he says listen confront the false teachers these people that are in the church and they're just spreading all this nonsense about with people. Not necessarily from the front of the pulpit and the different opportunities that they're getting. But actually in private conversations maybe they're talking to people and telling them uh, different things. And, and, and Paul uses the phrase of myths and genealogies and stuff that just really causes trouble and bores the tears of people and stuff. And so Paul's challenging Timothy you know, and encouraging him and he's commanding him once again to teach and insist and what the judgment must be on these people who who are teaching falsely because we've always got to be on our guard against this Uh, and so entitled today is the contentment and it's five verses and it says this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 3 to 8 it says these are the things you are to teach and insist on If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So Paul's writing him, he's giving him the result. He's saying this is what happens if these people get involved in these quarrels. And you can see in the previous verses the things that it leads to. You see we have to say this because in addressing the problems with false teachers and false teaching it is something that's so important and prevalent in the church today. That we have to make sure we've used this all the way through 1 Timothy of why we have good leadership because we guard against false teaching. Why we don't just let anybody stand up here and preach anything that they want because we want to guard, protect and shepherd the people. Because extra biblical doctrine is, is never acceptable. He says and well, we see the problems that the false teachers have the first one is this is if you want to divide the church you'll distract the church always if you want to divide the church you'll distract the church there's a wee problem over here, or some people are unhappy over here and stuff. It's always a wee distraction, and distraction always leads to division, and Paul is saying that to Timothy. It's the same is true today. He says we don't always have to agree with everything. He says, but we do have to agree with the fundamentals, the foundations of what we believe. He says, and everybody agreeing on everything all of the time. We said this, but this is not the issue here. The issue here is these false teachers coming in and dividing the church by distracting them but the problem with the false teachers is this it's a second problem is this because they did not live properly they could not teach properly <coughs> excuse me because they did not live properly they could not teach properly Because we've suddenly realised, and we did this when we looked at the two passages on leadership and elders, it wasn't about the function and the position that people hold in the church. Actually their lifestyle and their character matters. And and in 14 uh, descriptions of of traits that elders should hold, 13 of them had to do with character So rather than looking at, oh, this guy's a gifted preacher and this guy and people listen and he's funny and he's all of these things that tick all the right boxes, actually none of that really matters because you're saying actually it's all character. Thirteen of the things were character. There was just one that said it was teaching. And then the third thing the difficulty had was what they did teach was a spin on everything or a spiritual revelation only they had received. And we had said that the danger sometimes is that person that says, I saw something nobody else did. I received a revelation that nobody else did. And the danger sometimes is when that happens, that if it's not backed up by scripture, it's not founded on the word, then it's just that false teaching, that nonsense that leads to all. The trouble, so Paul instructs Timothy to confront, be on his guard against those false teachers who would deny, ignore, And explain away God's word. See if I've said some of the most dangerous teaching in in church isn't done necessarily from the pulpit. But maybe from informal private conversations. Sometimes when people say what did you think of the preaching this morning? You know that question maybe people have and and say did did you agree with everything he said? he, he, He mentioned this but he didn't mention this. And those sort of questions often open doors uh, to difficulties and challenges that you have in church. The informal private conversations that lead to a distraction there is in church. And our job as the leadership, and down to you is this, is to keep the unity of the people. Because unity is so important. He says that when the people gather together in unity, the Lord pours out a blessing. And so we've got to make sure that we keep the unity here. And so these false teachers here uh, have got another motivation. Their motivation is greed. And they simply believe that wealth was a sign of God's approval of their teaching. We see it in the verse. Now unfortunately today we don't have to go too far uh, to to either watch something or turn something on to see a display of greed or the motivation for money by Christian preachers when it comes to the gospel now I'm not criticizing anybody because I'm not mentioning any names but it is an observation how many times you put the tv on and the wee thing comes across the bottom if you give 10 pound phone this number and you can text it and you can do all of these things And, and the danger that comes there is the motivation for greed It's a motivation that we see here, that we see today. There's certain Christian channels of teaching that express this. God doesn't want you to be poor. I'm not telling you that. That's what I'm reading. God doesn't want you to be poor. You're not claiming what is materially yours in Christ. If you see it, believe it. If you you blab it, grab it. That sort of thing because that's the teaching sometimes that people will fall forward the motivation here is those false teachers that are motivated by greed believing that the gospel is for sale Uh, and, and so here the danger with them is this the danger then and the danger now is that if you market the gospel that way it makes followers of Jesus totally unprepared for the tough times that come because the reality is god doesn't want to make us all rich i know that would be a nice thing if you're thinking about it god doesn't want to make us all rich he doesn't want us all have our six numbers come up on a saturday night he doesn't want us to make sure that we're din- that's not god's desire for us now before we get into this and say "Ah, oh, but that means we should all be poor no it's not saying that either the danger is is this is that people are unprepared for tough times if they believe that the only reason they have Jesus in their life is to bless them constantly and permanently. That's the danger there. That's the danger. You know, he is the God on the mountain and he is the God on the valley. The danger is sometimes people just want to see what's happening on the mountain. And this is the problem and the difficulty that is there, but it's also here as well that this approach takes a focus of Jesus and simply on what Jesus will give us. And people will use different Bible verses uh, and different formulas for prayer to say, well, all I've got to do is have enough faith to believe. All I've got to do is, if I'm sick, then all I've got to do is believe and I won't be sick anymore. He says, listen, we're, we're to pray. And always I say this to people, and it, uh, because we mustn't ever take the will of God and the sovereignty of God out of it. He says, can God heal? Yes, will god heal i honestly don't know i entrust the plans and the purposes of god for my life for your life for everything that we do as a church into his hands and believe when people are ill as it says in james to call for the elders of the church to pray for them that's what we do and the danger is if you go the other way when god doesn't answer your prayer your faith crumbles your relationship with god crumbles Because you look at it and think, he's supposed to bless me, he's supposed to give me everything I want. No, he's not. And this is a danger that we have here. Many have their hearts on the blessings rather than the one who blesses us. But Paul gives us the answers here because he talks about this, he talks about contentment. The last Sunday, I had COVID when I was off, so I was in bed watching church last Sunday. And Reese's title of his sermon when he came up was, The Secret of Contentment. And I thought, I'm going to kill him, because that was where I was. <laughs> Fortunately, I only thought that. I didn't say that to him. Like, and he says it was COVID. I wasn't feeling well. And anyway, and I thought to myself, but he went off a different direction, to be fair, which was good, like, because I thought, he's going to preach my message and stuff. So. But anyway, he didn't. So anyway, and he thought, because Paul gives the answer here, because he comes and he talks about to Timothy about being contented. Uh, and you see, the opposite of being contented is discontentment, because we have so many people that live discontented lives, uh, because we believe that actually our life consists of the abundance of possessions, that actually we are here on earth to acquire as much as we can. Why have, have three tellies when you've got four, when you have four, with two cars when you can have three, a we'll holiday twice a year when you can go through. And, and it's the acquisition of possessions. It's the stuff that we get throughout our life that actually marks a successful life. That's the world that we live in today. He says, Will Smith, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I know he's not a theologian, but he did say this. He says, we spend money that we do not have on things we do not need to impress people who do not care. And how true is that? He says, and that, you say, well, that doesn't creep into the church. Oh, yes, it does creep into the church. It does creep. That's why Paul's writing about it. That's why we're preaching on it today in Timothy, because you look at it and say, the world is discontented. Because the reality is, we love our stuff, don't we? Now, when I wrote this, I thought to myself, I thought, oh, I'm as guilty as everybody else. I love my Lego and my jigsaws and all of the stuff that I acquire, it's mine. But we're all the same, aren't we? Last October I went to London. Now, there's a shop in London you've probably been to, it's called Harrods. Now, Harrods is not the sort of place that really expects people like me. Because in the words in the words of Valerie Roberts, I am frugal with my money. In the words of everybody else, I'm tight. Because when you go into Harrods, you walk around Harrods and you look at it and you think and I'm the sort of person who walks in, you don't want to take me into Harrods. They didn't want to take me into Harrods because I walk in, look at the price of something. <laughs> which of the price of. Like, where's home bargains? That's the way you look at it. <laughs> That's the way we look at it. And you look at it and think to yourself, and all these people are walking around. Uh, and it gives us a picture of the contentment or the culture consumerism that there is in society today, isn't it? I mean, I'm one of those people. Who thought, you know, I've just got to buy one thing just to say I went to Harvard's and I bought something. So I like coffee. So I went to the the coffee part, uh, and I'm, I mean, that's the shock of the price of it. Like, I went, and it was ten pounds for a bag of coffee, seventy-nine pence in Home wagons. Ten pounds for, and I thought, I'm not getting that. I again every moment I was in Harrods, and my these four down the front within Harrods, I was praying, Lord, set the fire alarm off. Because <laughs> they were looking at stuff and they were picking up stuff. And they hate me going shopping because the first thing I say is, you do get that cheaper, eh? That's what you're saying, you don't get that cheaper. All dads do that, don't they? They said, yeah, yeah, you do. I know you. It's a joke. I say, well, price of that and stuff but it gives us a picture of the consumerism that we have in life because people believe they're not content unless they get something unless they get the latest phone unless they get the latest thing uh, and that has to do with contentment. Paul had some understanding of contentment when he writes these words in Philippians 4. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I don't know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty. Or in one. Paul teaches us two things here about contentment. The first one is this, it is learnt, it is something that we have to be taught. We learn it because it, it, it's not natural. You know, because we, we, he, he writes these words here because he understands, I have not learned to be content, so I have to learn to be content. It's not something that comes naturally to us, just to simply say, well, well I, I don't want that, or, or, or I don't need that because we fail sometimes to understand the difference between our needs and our wants and so this contentment thing is here and then the second thing that Paul says he says it's actually a secret because the secret is this because godliness we look at it and say well does it mean to 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 be more godly to be more like him actually it doesn't in the passage that Paul is right it actually means to live the way God wants you to live to live the way God wants you to live now that's a real challenge that's the secret because Paul goes on and says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me he wasn't looking and saying whether I have plenty or whether I have a little he says I'm content because I've got Christ and I'm living that way and see Paul does this in these verses he simply addresses the entry of our lives and the exit of our lives because he says this he says we brought nothing into the world And then we take nothing out of the world. Everything that we have is in between. And we're simply taught this that, in a sense, uh, we look at it and say, well, where do we get this desire from? Where do we get this idea of gathering stuff will make us happy, or acquiring everything will suddenly give us the purpose of? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with stuff. I'm not expecting you to go out of here and sell all your stuff and say, Master said this morning that we're not trying that. I'm not saying that. The difficulty, the challenge that comes here is the contentment of where we find our contentment. And here he addresses it by addressing the entry and the exit. By simply saying this, he says, well, says At our birth, whether we like it or not, there's one thing we all have in common. We all came into this world exactly the same way and speaking of birth I should have to mention this congratulations to Reese and Rebecca oh I expect they're now first just to frighten you all the pain that you go through in childbirth no you don't Rhys all the pain you go through in childbirth And eh? this, we came into the world we all came in the same way he said that we didn't come in and suddenly the first thing we asked for was stuff it wasn't we sort of arrived screaming crying into the world and it was a long time before we wanted any stuff he says whether we just began to grow babies toddlers all of us were on the same journey and suddenly there was this desire created in us that simply says if i have that i'll be happy If I spend my life acquiring all these possessions, all this stuff, then at the end of my life, it will give my life a point and a purpose. Every time I do a funeral, I stand at the front and say this. Nobody, no family ever asked me to say, would you mention how big the house is I lived in? Would you mention how many cars I had? Would you mention how much money was in the bank? Would you mention all of these things that were like an acquisition of the stuff that accumulated over life? Nobody ever asked me to say that. People always ask me to say, would you, would you mention the, the memories, the time, how we felt about the person that's just passed? And I suddenly realised that it takes to coming to the end of your life to realise the truth that we've just read. We bring nothing in and we take nothing out. So what's the key? So what is the thing that we see there in in the middle of it? And I remember reading a story of a man who earned a very good living. Refused to spend his money on anything. When he was dying, he said to his wife, I want you to promise me one thing. Promise me that when I'm dead, you'll take all my money out of the bank. And you'll put it in my coffin with me so I can take it all with me amazingly the wife agreed to do this after her husband died a friend saw she put something in the coffin and asked what she put in there she told her friend her husband's request and how she agreed to it. the friend was shocked and aghast she couldn't believe that the woman would do this the friend simply asked her, "Says, how are you going to live now and she replied well I promised him I would do that so I buried him with a cheque We take nothing out of it. Contentment never comes from the possession of things. Because the danger that we have is not what we own, but what owns us. Our consumer culture feeds our lack of contentment. How many times do we ask the question, what would make us more content? If we just had a little bit more money. If we just had a bigger house. How many times do we just simply say, if I just... And we add something on to the end of it, believing if we had that, that would make us content, that would make us happy. But Paul is not saying that contentment is the key to life. He's saying contentment with godliness is the key to life. See, simplifying your life is not the answer. Sometimes people say, I need to get rid of all the clutter in my life. I need to slow down. He says, I wish it was 27 hours in a day and people were saying, cut back this and not do this giving up necessary things you know being content in life by maybe sitting on the beach so sun goes down and people think well that, that makes me happy he says that's not what this is about accepting your lot in life and Paul is simply saying this is about contentment with godliness as God would have us live see Paul's not calling us to a vow to be pov- to poverty to be miserable and happy there are enough miserable Christians out there not here this morning but there are enough miserable Christians, Alec. God wants us to enjoy life. He does. He says, if you move further on into verse 17, uh, Paul actually writes and says, God gave us these things to enjoy. He says, and so we should enjoy them, because it's not about what we own, but what owns us. And that's the danger, because he's talking about contentment with godliness, being content in the way that God would have us live. See, the contrast is the same as Paul said earlier. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, when he says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things to come. Holding promise for both the present life and to come. There's a contrast there. He said, Listen, physical exercise, physical activity is good, but it won't save your soul. It's not the way that God wants you to live. The contrast is the same here. When he says this is not about being content, just sit back, be happy accept my lot in love no that that's being content he's saying it's being content with godliness because there's no point otherwise you see the danger or is is this because contentment means being satisfied in you but contentment with godliness means being satisfied in christ it is not about self-sufficiency but christ-sufficiency See, Paul brings Timothy right back to the crunch of this. He brings him right back to the foundation of this. When he simply says, it's not about just being happy. It's about being satisfied in Christ. Because it is all about peace. Christ. See all the false teachers challenging them. So the teaching on the leadership and how you deal with the women and the prayer and the men and the young people and the old people. All of this stuff that Paul has written in this letter. He simply brings it back to this point for Timothy says contentment with godliness it's not about your self-sufficiency what you can do for yourself it's about christ sufficiency see we said this way back in the beginning in the first week and it stands as true today those who have deep roots in christ will be satisfied in christ if you are not satisfied you don't have deep roots the challenge that is not just for you but for me for all of us why because the danger is with the false teachers is they were running around after every blessing every experience every different revelation that nobody else saw and actually Paul just brought it way back down to this says make your roots go deep in Christ because the deeper they go the more satisfied you will be in Christ so you're not always looking for the experience. So you're not always picking up the, a glance in living hope and looking, oh, at 6.30 tonight, I'm going to that, but I won't go next week because I'm not sure want to go to that, or I'll go to that on Tuesday night, but not that on Tuesday night. And that's a challenge. That's how we bring it down to the reality of where we're at, which is those who have deep roots in Christ will be satisfied in Christ. The doors are open, I'm going to be there. The prayer meeting's on, I'm going to be there. We didn't come to church to get offended this morning. Well I apologise, I've been off for two weeks. I've been thinking about it for the last two weeks. (laughs) The truth of it is this. There's a danger that we have in this post-Covid culture. Is we've just made church an option. We've just said, you know what, we'll go if it interests us, we'll go if it's on, we'll go if we like it, we'll go, listen, it's on for your benefit because we want to build good, strong, faithful disciples. So when church is open, we want to be there. Some of you are thinking, I wish you'd taken another two weeks off. (laughs) But that's a challenge here. It's about our contentedness with godliness to live the way God wants us to live so when we gather together to pray we're not sitting with three or four of us praying we're sitting with 30 or four of us squashed in a room lifting up the prayer request we have to God believing God can answer why because those who have deep roots in Christ will be satisfied in Christ the deeper they go the deeper the satisfaction you see Paul finishes in, in a sense he repeats what Jesus says in Matthew 6 when he says in verse 8 he says if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Clothing here can mean not just what we wear, but also the shelter that we live under. And Jesus says these words. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? He just simply answers the two basic questions of life. What shall we eat and what shall we wear? He says, what do we do? But there's a key in Verse 32. And this comes to the contentment we've got in us. And as Jesus says this, he says, Your heavenly father knows that you need them. How often do we spend time being anxious and worried and concerned about things that we just simply need to place in his hands? The promise of his word to his son is this your heavenly father knows that you need them. It says, how many times do we anguish over things and say, well, if I, if I don't say to this many people, or if we don't do this appeal, or if we don't do this, it says, hey, truth of his word says, your heavenly father knows that you need them. Ah, uh, what? It says, the clothes on your back, the shelter over your head. Uh, and he uses the illustration, doesn't he, about the, the birds of the air. He says, the flowers of the field that that God takes care of. How much more care will he give to you and me? Well, according to that verse, it says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I love it that God did not create the world and take his hands off. He's actively involved, interested in every aspect of our lives, which I've said a few times. See, contentment is this. Is contentment with godliness is knowing that God knows best. He's working for our good, working it out when it seems it's not going to work out. See, so as a finished, Paul, has a, he writes this as his life statement in Philippians 1, verse 21. Because you can see that he has learned contentment and he's gathered the secret of contentment. It just says this, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. A contentment is there, isn't it? What a testimony And he's sitting in a prison cell at this time. To say this is my life. This is how I have found contentment with godliness. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My life is Christ and Christ is my life. What a challenge when we look even this morning and we see the baggage that I have and that you have, even the baggage that we've brought in today, even the stuff almost that we have here today, we simply strip it down to this. My life is Christ. Christ is my life. That's what makes us content with godliness, living the way that God wants us to live. See, being content with godliness is about submitting and delighting in Christ that's a challenge my time was gone but that's a challenge for us today because we've tried to accumulate stuff and think stuff makes us happy It, it doesn't God is not interested in our happiness he's interested in our contentment and he said your contentment is tied to my godliness which is living the way I want you to live and that means to be submissive and delighting in the Lord to say what Paul says not an easy thing to say For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That's my contentment today. It's all about Jesus. I should have said that at the beginning because it's a great phrase, isn't it? I've got to sat down for the other 40 minutes. It's all about Jesus. That's it. What is this about? How do I want to be content? What's your purpose in life? What am I looking for? It's all about Jesus. It's about him and him alone. Let us pray. Father, we come before you today. Father, what a challenge in your word. Father, for each and every one of us in this place, Lord, has a desire to have deep roots in you. For we realize, Father, that is where our satisfaction and our contentment comes from as your people. That we don't want to be content in ourselves. We want to be content with godliness. To live the way you want us to live. What a prayer your servant prays. Says for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That is not an easy prayer to pray Lord. But for us as your people in this church today. We simply declare Father. That we just want to make it about Jesus. We don't want to make it about the way we do church, the way we run church, how we deal with these people, how we deal, the best way to deal with the false teachers and the false teaching is to stand on the truth, to speak the truth and to apply the truth. The truth is this today, God, we want to live for your son, Jesus. We want to lay aside the baggage, the the things that we've accumulated, good and bad, and just simply say, "Lord, here we are. Make it about Your Son in Jesus' name." Amen. 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 Church.